Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger. And you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. With Valentine's Day being tomorrow, I've been trying to pick some sweet romances for this month. So for the next two weeks, I've got a really fun King Thrushbeard retelling by Kate Stradling for you all to listen to. It has a more urban or contemporary setting than I usually feature, but that's mostly because I think it's hard to find stories that do it really well. So if you know of some more, send them my way. Kate Stradling is a language structure fanatic who adores historical and descriptive linguistics. So it shouldn't surprise you that I had to look up the pronunciation of twice as many words as usual when recording this episode. Especially if you've listened to the blooper reel and know how terrible I am with pronouncing words. Kate graduated from Brigham Young University with her B.A. in English and completed her M.A. in English at Arizona State. Her published work spreads across the fantasy spectrum, from dystopia light to fairy tales to kingdom adventures, which is something I love about her books. Devoted to token winters and scorching weather, she lives in sunny Mesa, Arizona, which is funny because I knew we both lived in Arizona, but I didn't realize we lived in the same city until I actually read her bio. It's a small world. I'll be narrating today's story, but stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from Kate, as well as how to enter our quarterly giveaway with four fantastic audiobooks and a three-month Audible membership. For now, please enjoy Thrushbeard Part 1 by Kate Stradling. Chapter 1 The fairy's face looked laser-cut and polished, not a wrinkle in his too smooth skin, not a hint of emotion in his symmetrical features. Antlers rose from his forehead, a particularly good touch, mirror images of one another down to the smallest point. They matched his hair color to a shade, that muted, dusky brown of forest wood. In fact, Everything about him fell within a pre-designed color palette—browns and grays and softened golds. "'He's trying too hard,' I said. My father hissed. "'Shh, Anna!' I couldn't help it. If mere mortals could have superpowers, finding fault was mine. Faye instinctively craved perfection, and this one sought it in symmetry— That he projected it so desperately only confirmed how low-level he was in their social strata. The higher-level fairies at least acted indifferent. The highest wore their true faces for all the world to see, their power rendering them immune to critique. Or so they liked to pretend. Once you identified a flaw, they could never unsee it. It would gnaw on them from that point forward. You must forgive her, my lord, Dad said, ducking in a disgustingly obsequious bow. She's always been a plain-spoken girl. The fairy blinked. I knew her reputation before I ventured here. Whatever his other faults, no flaws marred that voice. I'd expected him to sound like a robot, not a warm, luxurious blanket I could wrap around myself. Annoyed, I asked, What's your name? The creature shifted his head a degree, keen eyes studying me. Unlike the rest of him, those eyes were alive, even with their otherworldly golden hue. 
Gold irises were a hallmark of the Fae, the fair folk, this race of higher beings that silently, secretly existed alongside our own. After a moment's consideration, he extracted a business card from the breast pocket of his immaculate gray suit and proffered it to me. The card was square, corners rounded, dove gray with a gold embossed print. A single word stood out in all caps. Rainier. Of course. A palindrome. He wouldn't give his true name. Fay never did. But I might have guessed his love for symmetry would affect what he called himself. Below his name were a cell number, also palindromic, and his social media. The gray linen finish of the card obscured whether he was seely or unseely, which I took as evidence of his youth. Those two opposing courts had been decaying for centuries. Any who claimed either one these days did so from tradition rather than a true affiliation, and the newer generations of Fay seemed inclined to side with neither at all, which was a point in his favor, if it wasn't a ruse. I flipped the edge of the card against my palm. Where palindromes were concerned, I could hardly scoff. My own name had likely drawn this specimen here. Even so, I asked, were Otto and Bob not distinctive enough? Anna! Dad was going to burst a vein. A more loyal daughter might have taken pity. If he didn't want his firstborn insulting fairies, though, he should never have struck a bargain with my life as collateral. I could accept that the debt had to be paid, but I didn't have to be pleasant about it. Our visitor, far from bristling at my flippant question, took it seriously. I considered them, but determined that I have not the standing to support a cognomen as brief as either of those choices. Props to him for admitting his lowly status. All things considered, even the highest level fay would have trouble pulling off a name like Bob. It invited friendliness and familiarity, whereas they preferred their distant ivory towers. The rest of his kind had left our family to die, a fitting punishment for my critical tongue. My father's contract would soon lapse, and if his firstborn was not bound to a fay when it did, the magic within it would kill us both. Pity Dad hadn't told me that before the other interested parties arrived. I'd insulted them all in sequence, pinpointing the flaws they preferred not to acknowledge. Eyes a touch too close, legs a fraction too long, teeth a hair's breadth uneven, and one slightly crooked chin. Knowing they'd never disclose their true names, I'd bestowed monikers of my own. Narrow squint, stork on stilts, snagglefang, thrushbeard. When they departed with aloofness like a mantle on their shoulders, my father's waning contract had cinched around us. For three days it had confined us to Dad's house, an unseen kidnapper waiting for one of its own kind to negotiate a hostage release. Rainier was our last hope the only fay to ignore whatever warnings his insulted superiors had issued, which added proof of his low standing. It meant he had not far to fall if his disobedience stoked their anger. They all wanted a fault finder, 
but one that would look toward their competitors rather than themselves. They wanted me to tear others down while reverencing them. Will you enter a contract? He asked with lips that might have been cast from resin. My father's anticipation, hope, desperation, radiated on me like heat from a furnace. This was a bitter pill. Only as chattel, not an alliance. An indenture made me his servant. An alliance would make me his wife. A brief widening of the fae's eyes showed me the white above his irises. Beside me, Dad hissed my name again. Rainier, though, recovered his wits. You'd rather be indentured than free? An alliance isn't freedom. It's a different set of chains. The new contract would bind me regardless. Dad glanced between us, worried that his unexpected savior would turn and leave us to our fate. Rainier must have needed a fault finder quite badly, though. Instead of taking offense, he nodded. It is done. An invisible band loosened from around my lungs, the old contract relinquishing its hold. Dad's intake of breath beside me marked his own disenthrallment after twenty long years beneath its weight. Well, good for him, the miserable wretch. I spun away from them both and trekked into my room to gather my things. Chapter 2 We took public transportation, changing from a bus to the light rail system in the falling darkness. One might expect that an antlered, plastic-faced man would garner strange looks, but no one glanced at us twice. I wanted to write it off as a foible of city living, but I'd learned long before that what I saw and what the rest of humanity saw were not the same. Rainier would have at least two layers of glamours on himself, one for his fellow fae and another for the world in general. I could see past the second, but not the first. Presumably a side effect of my lifetime under a fay bargain. While waiting for the train that headed into central Phoenix, we stood apart from everyone else, as though in our own bubble. Out of the blue, he said, You did not identify my flaws. His gaze was fixed upon the storefront across the tracks. He spoke as though he were merely curious, as if my response couldn't shatter his mental health for the foreseeable future. I glanced him over from top to toe and back again, my attention lingering on the antlers. So much material to work with. I could call him Reindeer instead of Rainier. I could claim the antlers were a fraction too low on his forehead and watch him squirm until he was able to rework the facade. Since I was already under contract, though, there was no point. Yes, I did. I said you're trying too hard. He turned to look me dead in the eyes. My physical flaws, I mean. Oh, well. If he was asking for it, I'd oblige. They're too perfect. His angled brows arched. There's no such thing as too perfect. Living things are meant to have flaws. You're imperfect without them. He grimaced, the subtlest contortion of his cheeks a monumental cue for how my words unsettled him. 
I chuckled under my breath. Let him stew on that paradox for a while. The train arrived with a special car in its line, one that normal humans overlooked. While other passengers packed into the neighboring compartments, we strolled into shadows shared only by a dozen souls. The lack of overhead lighting catered to the unseely fay, more likely to commute this late. Rainier gestured me to a pair of seats removed from his fellows, but if he worried someone might notice a human in their midst, he needn't have. No one looked up from their cell phones. Faces shone like moons in the darkness, reflecting the light of their counterfeit suns. They were low-level fay as well, masked and polished to avoid critique. A gallery of uncanny valley candidates, with bits of nature in their glamours to add to their otherworldliness. I shuddered and hugged my bag upon my lap. Seven stops later, we disembarked. A poster advert caught my attention. It had a certain resonance about it, a glamour that would hide it from normal humans. To the fairy kin who passed this way, it proclaimed a singular message. The word Threshbeard, in six-inch letters, above the logo of a fae-specific social media platform. I stopped short, confused. Rainier, pausing beside me, followed my line of sight. Oh, that. He changed the company's name. My throat constricted. He who? Thrushbeard. He announced the change two days ago, both for himself and his platform. I jerked too unnerved to suppress that telltale reaction. One of my erstwhile suitors had been a billionaire mogul? The company, formerly called Fable, dominated the realms of fair folk technology. I knew of it thanks to my father's business dealings, the same dealings that had enriched his bank accounts and faded me to this servitude. Ridiculous. The word slipped out before I thought to contain it. Rainier's golden stare bored into me, an unspoken demand that I elaborate. He's rebranding his whole company, his whole life, because of my offhand remark? If he doesn't, his competitors will. This way, it's his doing, and his clout will only grow. You might have shared his fortune if you hadn't spurned him. Oh. Yeah, woe is me, I muttered under my breath. Every woman wanted a thin-skinned workaholic for a partner, right? Do you prefer the company's previous name? A note of curiosity colored his voice. I spared him a sidelong glance. It was a bit too close to feeble for my tastes. Not exactly an association most businesses want. He hummed, thoughtful as we crossed the street. Thrushbeard is the better choice, then. Exasperation burst from my lungs. It doesn't mean anything. I just slapped two words together. Your kind can't even grow beards. If we could, they might disguise a crooked chin. The dry quip caught me by surprise. The barest hint of a smile tugged at the corners of Rainier's unnatural lips. His gaze trained upward, as though a study of the night sky would prevent him from laughing outright. My cheeks warmed, though whether from anger, embarrassment, or delight, I wasn't sure. Someone with a glass face, 
shouldn't exude such natural charm. And all your associates would assume you grew it for that purpose, so the beard itself would become a flaw. His golden gaze slid my direction and away again in tacit agreement. Hands in his pockets, he strode onward, not bothering to check that I followed. Our path led to a high-rise apartment building, all steel and glass in its construction. A new canopy above the entrance displayed its owner's name, Thrushbeard. He's rebranded all his holdings, Rainier said. This building could have been yours as well. I might have been impressed, but the apartments within were like mail slots, neatly and compactly aligned to house as many tenants as possible. It was mixed kind, humans and fay paying rent too high for a space too small, and the honor of residing in the city's most stylish district. When, after a ride up the elevator, Rainier opened the door to his studio, I stood on the threshold in growing dismay. The place was a galley, minimally furnished and extending from the inner hallway to a single window at the other side. A partition hid the bedroom and bathroom, but the whole narrow box couldn't be more than 500 square feet. You expect me to live like this? It serves its purpose. Somewhere to eat and sleep. You'll need a job to help with rent. He couldn't afford a mere sliver of space on his own? Most Fay had no qualms about enthralling humans to transfer their wealth. But maybe all his power went into his multi-layered facade. Lucky me, I now had to subsidize his vanity. At least the view was nice. We were on the 22nd floor, doubtless a coveted number among symmetry-obsessed Fay, with an aspect that overlooked the city. Phoenix sprawled outward instead of upward, a carpet of sparkling lights that stretched toward silhouetted mountains in the distance. I spent the night on a cheap futon by the window, wrapped in a spare sheet, my ears attuned to every sound from my keeper. He read through most of the dark hours. Each turn of the page whispered against my consciousness. He didn't use any light. Perhaps he was unseely after all. Chapter 3 Contrary to many assumptions, technology was a boon for the fair folk. With machines mathematically calibrated to manufacture identical products in quick succession, it satisfied both their fondness for efficiency and their impulse for perfection. But even the slightest miscalibration, the slightest wear on the machinery itself, could wreak havoc. There, see? I pointed to a newly minted cell phone at my quality control station. The engraving on the back is off by just a hair. My supervisor bent close. A faint wrinkle appeared between her over-smooth eyebrows. Are they all like that? Everything coming off this line, yeah. It's within an allowable margin right now, but you should probably schedule the engraver for fine-tuning in the next week or so before it becomes noticeable. She sucked in a deep breath as she straightened, and with an extra layer of resonance to her voice, bellowed, Stop production! The whole warehouse froze, the hum of equipment cutting to silence, and a thousand eyes focusing on us. My cheeks grew hot. What? No, that's not what I... 
but the fay was already in motion, flipping phones off the conveyor belts. Scrap everything from the past hour. It's all ruined. Get maintenance in here immediately and check the earlier batches. I dogged her heels. You don't have to scrap everything. There's an alignment allowance for a reason, and it's just barely starting to, if a mere human can see the flaw, it'll stand out like a beacon to our vendors. She spoke with certainty, but she was also picking up unit after unit, searching for misalignment in each one, and finding it whether it was truly present or not. I bit my lips, torn between dismay and frustration. Behind me, several other QC workers, all of them Fay, gathered around my station, inspecting the product and returning to compare it with their own samples. Voices rose in pitch, like a wasp's nest cracked open, and panic rippled across the factory floor. I should have known to keep my big mouth shut. I ended my first and last day on this job in the security office, isolated from the rest of the employees with a burly guard outside the room. When the door finally opened, I looked up to meet Rainier's smooth, impassive stare. He only said, time to go home. Silence pressed upon us as we left the building. It grew heavier with each step, until I couldn't bear it. I guess you know they fired me. They fired the whole quality control team, along with the supervisor and half of the workers on the floor. It'll delay their production schedule by weeks. Why did he seem more amused than upset? Did you know this would happen? I asked suspiciously. He had landed me the job. Had he wanted me to fail, and the factory along with me? You can't help but point out flaws, and we Fay can't help but see those flaws forever after. But did you expect me to derail their whole production line in a single afternoon? No. He spoiled this by adding, I assumed it would take a few days. I halted, hands in my pockets and a scowl on my face. Unseely Fay were prone toward mischief. What's your game? His brows arched, aloofness upon him like a shroud. My game? Was this a personal vendetta? Or did you only want to make trouble for someone else? His golden eyes shifted to an overhanging branch that trailed between us. He raised elegant fingers to tweeze a leaf near the end of it, as though he would pluck it from its stem. Perhaps it was some of both. Do you know who owns that factory? I glanced back over my shoulder. I'd recognized the brand, but it was a fay company. The Glendale factory itself put the finishing touches on items manufactured overseas, the last leg in a long production chain. Misgivings churned in my stomach. Don't tell me it was Thrushbeard again. The tiniest of scoffs cut from his throat. No. Who owns it then? But he only smiled, a faint upturning of the corners of his mouth, which barely qualified as a smile on any other creature and resumed walking. Did he want me to prod? I refused. Instead, I fell in step beside him all the way to the bus stop, and from there back to our mail slot apartment. We picked up sushi on the way, perfect little morsels meticulously packed in their takeout boxes. You'll have a new job tomorrow, 
he said, when we sat in his narrow galley to eat. I searched for cracks in his mask-like facade. More quality control? No. You can try hospitality instead. Maybe he thought my fault-finding would lend to flawless housekeeping. Unfortunately, I was no better in a hotel than a factory, but for the opposite reason. What happened? He asked when he met me on the curb in front of a Fay-exclusive Scottsdale resort. I pushed away from the concrete, sighing as I stood. I couldn't make perfect corners with the bedsheets. Neither could anyone else but their standard of good enough and mine didn't match. He only stared, so I flipped a hand in the air and further vented my frustration. The duvets covered everything. It's not like guests inspect the sheets before they climb into bed. Do humans not? That faint smile curved along his lips again. Was he mocking his own kind or mine? I wanted to laugh, but I'd had a long day cleaning rooms only for a whole crew of low-level fay to come behind me undoing and redoing my work. Productivity for the housekeeping staff had plummeted as they imposed stricter standards to counteract my perceived lack thereof. A block of unprepared rooms left guests waiting and complaining in the lobby all afternoon, and many canceled their reservations outright in favor of different accommodations. I reported all of this, and again glimpsed amusement in Rainier's nearly unreadable face. My suspicions redoubled. Who owns this place? The same person who owned yesterday's factory? No. I harumphed. It wasn't Thrushbeard, either. He'd have emblazoned his new name all over everything, the conceited git. So did that mean my antlered keeper was indulging in random mischief rather than a pointed campaign? Are you unseelie? I asked. He did smile then, a proper, natural smile that lit up his whole face. It vanished as quickly as it had appeared, but not before it tangled my senses. No. My breath escaped in a huff. A simple smile shouldn't have had such a strong effect, but it hinted at his true self, the one he hid beneath his glamoured mask, a handsome, charming self. Fae were always more beautiful than humans, but because so many obscured their looks, that was easy to forget. I composed my nerves, forcing calm into my voice. Seely, then? No, those courts are ancient relics. Interesting. I hadn't thought he would admit it. Tradition was easier than new paradigms for humans and Fae alike. It was easier to classify their kind as light or dark rather than to battle with ambiguity in their motives. I'd rather he had claimed one or the other, but I think he liked to leave me guessing. What did you do all day? I asked as we walked toward the nearest bus stop. I have a job. What kind of job? I sit behind a desk and fail to meet people's expectations. So a disgruntled office worker? He didn't sound disgruntled, but maybe the havoc I kept causing served as a sort of pressure release. Maybe that's why he wanted a human under contract in the first place. What kind of job will I have tomorrow? I asked, certain that he had already had a new one lined up. He glanced at me and away again. Retail. I know a shop that needs another sales associate. A fay shop, I presume? 
I don't have many connections with humans or their businesses. If you want to go through the application and interview process for a job of your choosing, you may. But I doubt you can do all that by tomorrow morning. I lapsed into silence, annoyed. Fairies used relationships as a form of social collateral to a degree that seemed absurd from a human perspective, but at a price. They were all about balance, each party receiving equal benefits from their transactions. If Rainier kept using his clout to get me work only for me to blunder horribly on the job, the resulting imbalance would do him no favors. I'm good at retail, I said. I worked at the mall when I was in high school. No doubt that skill will serve you well. He spoke so benignly that I could only interpret it as sarcasm. A grunt escaped me. I'd show him I could succeed. All I had to do was smile at customers and keep any critical observations to myself. Chapter 4 I can't believe I was so obsessed with him. Now all I can see is his chin. Right? Talk about taking the guild off the lily. Two of my co-workers huddled at the sales counter, poring over a Faye magazine. From what I could tell, it was their equivalent of a tabloid, though of superior quality to its human counterparts, of course. I'd glimpsed my erstwhile suitor, Thrushbeard, on its glossy cover. The rag had obviously jumped on his name change as a chance to sell more issues. It had no place in this posh little boutique, though. One of them must have smuggled it in so they could read between customers. I wandered close enough to see the spread of pictures, guilt sprouting within me. A handsome fay and elegant form graced the pages. Dark brown hair, observant golden eyes. It might have been a trick of photography, but he looked more open, more sincere, more vulnerable, than any fay I'd seen. The one time I'd met him, I'd been too busy searching for flaws to appreciate his attractive demeanor. Under other circumstances, I'd have drooled. You two are crazy, I said. That guy's hot. One of them blew a derisive puff of air, whiffling the feathers in her glamoured hairdo. By human standards, sure. As for us, he's tainted goods. Her friend elbowed her. It's not like you ever had a chance with him. But I could fantasize. Now I can't even do that without his unsightly chin interfering. I opened my mouth, a rebuke forming, but the other fay beat me to it. You better watch your tongue. Even with his flaws, he's still king. My heart stuttered against my ribs. What? I croaked. King? Both women looked at me through half-lidded eyes, a doll-like similarity in their masks. One wagged her fingers as though shooing away a child. Never mind, it has to do with fairy, not your silly human politics. We're allowed to have royalty if we want, said the other. I would have pressed them, but an ethereal chime on the door signaled a customer. One of the girls whipped the magazine beneath the counter, and they both donned their most aloof expressions. The newly arrived fay favored them with a similar look that coldness a sort of cultural greeting. And I, the lowly human, returned to straightening the displays. The shop branded itself as a lifestyle retailer. 
with products that catered to aesthetics of minimalism and symmetry. Everything was grossly overpriced, no doubt to make up for the exorbitant rent that its high street location demanded. Plate glass windows extended from floor to ceiling in one corner, giving a bright, broad view of the North Phoenix shopping district's crossroads. Cars parked all along the street, except directly in front of this store, human drivers failing to see the row of spaces here, and Faye arriving one at a time as if by appointment. I ruminated through the rest of my shift, until day bled into night, and the last customer left with a branded bag of goods. I helped my co-workers lock up the storefront and departed while they balanced the register. Rainier was waiting in the alcove behind the store, hands buried in the pockets of his gray slacks. Set anything on fire? he asked. I sniffed and started toward the street. We'd remained open long beyond when the other shops had closed. Traffic was scarce, and public transportation more so. It had taken an hour and a half to get here this morning, and wouldn't be any quicker going home. Why do you always get me work so far from where we live? I asked. Is it so no one can trace my chaos back to you? Did you cause chaos today? No, I was a model employee. That's a nice improvement. I stopped short to glare. I wasn't trying to cause chaos the other times. Humans can't help but cause chaos where Fay are concerned. We value stability, and you value change. That's not... I bit back my protest, wary that he might be goading me. Under my breath, I muttered, You value stagnation, and we value progress. That's what I said. I shot him a scowl and continued toward the bus stop. Silence filled the space between us, until my cares of that afternoon bubbled past my lips. The fay I was working with said Thrushbeard's a king. Is that true? Rainier remained impassive. Not by human considerations. But you consider him a king? He occupies our highest social tier, descended from both Seelie and Unseelie rulers, so that anyone who aligns with either faction regards him as such but you don't align with either. He tipped his antlers in acknowledgement, so he personally didn't consider Thrushbeard a king, but most Fae likely did. What was he doing at my father's house then? The king of fairy couldn't possibly stoop to taking a human bride. Whatever else I didn't understand about Dad's contract, that first batch of Fae had sought marriage as its fulfillment. If Thrushbeard was king... The others were nearly as distinguished, none of them bothering with a glamour to disguise their true faces. How can you know so much about Fay and yet so little? Rainier asked. I bristled. It's not like anyone taught me. I picked up things over the years of your kind visiting my father. Scraps of conversation when I could hear, careful observation when I couldn't. If there's an instruction manual, kindly point me that direction. He suppressed a chuckle. Higher-ranked fae often marry humans. They can't marry fae in the lower tiers without losing their own standing. And in the upper echelons, everyone's related. 
So the choice lies between a human spouse or inbreeding. I winced. Okay, got it. But that doesn't explain why they can't date a human instead of claiming one through contract. They're supposed to. Firstborn contracts were forbidden a century ago. They still occur because humans don't know any better. The magic itself still works, and if the contract remains a secret, it's an easy way to claim a partner. Your father's contract didn't. His wry expression, one corner of his mouth upturned in cynical amusement, almost humanized his face. My breath caught as his words sank in. What do you mean? You're a smart girl, Anna. You know what I mean. I swallowed, lapsing back into silence. If Dad's contract had remained a secret, only one fay would have appeared on the day of reckoning, with leverage enough to force my cooperation. Instead, four had come and gone, and a fifth had collected the spoils they had left behind. Which one of them set the contract with my dad? I asked, my voice hollow. None. One of them had an underling who set it on his behalf. And over the years, that underling wasn't as tight-lipped as he was meant to be. So it reached all the way to your king. And he thought he'd try his hand along with everyone else, I surmised. I guess it's only forbidden to those beneath him. Fey magic requires that its bargains be fulfilled. Thrushbeard didn't set the contract, but as king, once he knew of it, he bore the responsibility of seeing it equitably executed. And I had insulted him for his troubles, forcing him to rebrand his entire life. What was his name before it was Thrushbeard? He called himself Aethelric. I didn't miss the careful wording. Not his real name, I'm guessing. No. It means noble ruler, as generic a name as any fay can take. He'd only reveal his true name to those he keeps closest to him. He knew an awful lot about the king, for someone who claimed not to consider him one. Another suspicion wriggled its way through my lips. Did he send you to my father's house? Rainier didn't even blink at the implication. I came to you of my own choice. Why? Because I like balance. A daughter dying for her father's foolish crimes might satisfy the magic itself, but it bothers me. Meaning that whatever avenue he'd heard of my plight, he'd taken it upon himself to offer me an escape. With some reservation, I said, I suppose I should thank you. No. Death was your only other option, so entering a contract with me wasn't a true choice. At least you can earn out an indenture, though. How? The word leapt from my tongue before I could stop it. I didn't want to seem eager, lest that give him further leverage against me, but neither could I contain my sudden surge of hope. Rainier grunted a laugh the most amusement I'd seen from him yet. Hard work, just like you're already doing. For how long? If fey legends were any indication, it might be hundreds of years. Sure enough. As long as it takes to satisfy the debt, he said. 
which nicely killed my fledgling expectations. I hope you enjoyed listening to Thrushbeard Part 1 by Kate Stradling, narrated by Corinne Norton. If you want to read more by Kate, go to katestradling.com to find more of her books. I'll also have a link in the show notes that will take you directly to an EPUB download for Thrushbeard. So if you simply can't wait until next week's episode to hear the ending, you can go snag it. This month, we have a quarterly giveaway sponsored by our past and current featured authors. We're giving away a three-month Audible membership plus four amazing fantasy audiobooks by Marissa Meyer, Mary E. Pearson, K.M. Shea, and Lee Bardugo. So you'll want to head over to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. This time, it's open internationally, and I promise I've made it as easy as possible to enter. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Finding Fantasy Reads. It lets you automatically download new episodes as they come in, but it also helps increase the podcast's visibility on podcast platforms, which helps both authors and listeners find the show. Long story short, it means the podcast can continue to give you more short stories for even longer. You can find links to subscribe to all the major platforms on the website. As always, I will have direct links for all the sites I've mentioned in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. Happy reading.